to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. Uh, it's going to be a little Saturday night podcast release, uh, and I'm excited about this interview with Dylan Cruz, who uh, wrote a book called Theological Musings. Um, and we have a pretty, every now and then I have these conversations that are like fairly convicting for me, and I feel like I'm not doing enough. And this is one of those, but in a good way. He just talks about, um, I don't know, basic, you know, how we should be looking at the world uh, through if if you really are a member of of a faith and you really try to live by the things that uh, you say you believe. And we kind of talk about Christian nationalism and why that's an issue and what's going on in America, just all sorts of good stuff. So I hope you will enjoy it. Um, and send me an email, churchofthedrugs at gmail.com, patreon.com slash churchofthedrugs, and storefrontier.com slash churchofthedrugs. Yeah, I guess we've like last year Texas had that heat dome thing, and then I guess this year it's it sauntered over to us. So yeah, since God man, since like July, like late July, early July, it's been over a hundred about every day. I think we crested at a hundred and seven, and it's not going down until like the end of September. So it's just been unbelievably hot this year. Yikes. Well, there's a reason I there's that's one of the reasons I don't live in Texas anymore because I just can't handle the heat. Uh where where was where is Blue Ridge? Where is that in Texas? Exactly. Uh it's about 50-ish miles north northeast of Dallas between Dallas and okay. Oh god, so it's hot there. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it is super duper hot. Yeah. Uh, I used to pray for rain. As a kid, I'd be walking through the pasture and there'd be giant cracks in the ground and the, the pond where I went fishing would be almost dried up. I'd be like, God, please rain. I'm going to break my ankle. I need to go fishing. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we got wild. I don't I've I mean, I've lived in Louisiana since off and on since 2005. And I don't know if I've ever remembered there being wildfires, but we have like 30 or 40 wildfires currently burning, which is I mean, we're it's a swamp. So this is not. This is not yeah, wow. normal. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I didn't either. Like, uh, my buddy texted me. He's like, hey, are y'all okay? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, there's fires. And I was like, no, there's not. And then I looked and I was like, oh, all right, then. I guess that's the new thing, too. We're going to, you know. But I told him, I was like, even if we get a fire, I'm sure the hurricanes will just put it out very soon. Because we're, we're going into the peak hurricane season now, too. So it's just all sorts of fun stuff down here. Yeah, wow. No, thanks. <laughs> I know. I know. And I just got to visit my buddy in Boston last weekend, and it was unbelievable. It was so nice. It was so nice. So, all right. So, Dylan Cruz, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty excited that the book came out. Um, it's, it's doing all right on on the sales charts, and um, it's nice to be getting uh 
the theological messages out there that I that I think are important. Awesome. Let's. So I want to. I always. Uh, I'm a big personal historian guy. So I kind of want to hear like how did you grow up as far as well I guess just in general but as far as faith and belief and like what was what kind of family system were you born into that sort of stuff sure um I grew up in uh kind of a fundamentalist context starting pretty early in my childhood uh, I had grandparents that were very conservative Church of Christ. So whenever I saw them in the summertime, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we would go to uh, what they call meeting uh, in a place called Lebanon, Missouri, uh, every summer, uh, which was basically a Church of Christ revival meeting. Uh, and when I was just about 12 years old, we moved from Kansas City to Blue Ridge, Texas, and the first people just about showed up on our door at our new house were, were the secretary of the local Southern Baptist church and her daughter inviting us to church. And really? So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Blue Ridge has a, at that time had about 500 people. Uh, okay. And there was a Baptist church, a Methodist church and the church of Christ. And a friend of mine from school invited me to go to church. I got saved in the First Baptist Church of Blue Ridge, uh, a Southern Baptist church. So I kind of grew up in a very conservative, Southern, evangelical, extremely white Christian context. Uh, in the 1980s, when there was the Satanic Panic, if mm -hmm. you've ever heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, Mike Warnke was going around the country telling lies about um, Satanism and doing comedy shows about uh, about things that he ostensibly went through that were later proved to be lies that a lot of us and uh, youth groups and stuff bought hook, line and sinker um, had the whole rapture anxiety mm -hmm. all that stuff growing up. And then I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18 uh did that and uh um, what what year was that when you were 18 uh 1990 okay so did you do uh desert storm was that around then i was i'm a desert storm era veteran but i did not end up going to the desert because the the ground war ended while i was in engineer school oh wow so but shortly after that i i was invited to a church uh in kailua hawaii just outside the back gate from Marine Corps Air Station Kaneohe, where I was stationed. And it was Kailua Baptist Church. It was another Southern Baptist Church. And I ended up marrying the uh, youth minister there. And she had just graduated from Southwestern Theological Seminary, uh, Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. So I, I spent the entire decade of the 90s sort of immersed even further in uh, sort of militaristic fundamentalism. And then yeah, I walked yeah. away in 2003 during the buildup to the Iraq war, because I was, I was cross-referencing the words in red and the gospels, right? Uh, for those who don't know, red letter editions are when Jesus is talking. And I was not seeing that 
in the chapel services that I was attending. What I was so, seeing was be pro-military, pro-war, pro-go-kill-brown people who were poor and don't look like us, and not Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, and definitely not non-retributive, non-violent Jesus. So I walked out of the church uh, and didn't go back until 2015, uh, right before I started seminary. And I, I went to Lancaster Theological Seminary in, from 2016 to 2018. When, and uh, Sorry, I want to go back just a second. So when did you leave? So did this coincide with you being in the Marine Corps or what this was after all that? Uh, oh, yeah, so I, I skipped a little step. So I got out of the Marine Corps in 1994. Okay. And in 1996, my then wife, Karen, joined the Army with the goal of becoming a chaplain. And okay. um, because she was a graduate from a Southern Baptist seminary, they would not ordain her because according to Southern Baptist, you got to have dangly bits to get ordained and talk about Jesus, which That's is right. nonsensical notion. Right. Um, so that was the context in which I was going to church in 2003 when I walked out. It was churches on military basis. So it was a it was chaplain led services for military members which is why it was kind of this uh marriage of church and state uh sure. kind of christianity and so i left uh i left the church and I, I literally didn't go back for over 12 years um and that marriage ended not too long after that i realized that like i couldn't be a part of the world's largest state-sponsored terrorist terrorism organization, uh, which is what I called the United States Department of Defense. And she couldn't let go of nationalistic Christianity and empire building. So never the twain shall meet. Um, and so I spent, I spent, I kind of had my, my Moses moment of wandering in the spiritual wilderness for over, a, over a decade. And, and, uh, 2015, I was over 40 years old. I was kind of stuck, felt a, completely adrift from anything and everything. And I asked a friend of mine to pray for me. Um, I wasn't at that time a practicing Christian and I had been meditating and kind of finding out that I needed to find my focus. And he said, I have the gift of discernment. Leave it with me. I'll get back to you. And then he tells me that I'm supposed to go tell Christians about something called permaculture uh, that, I, that I'm educated in and, and write about. And I was like, dude, I'm not a Christian anymore. And he said, that's between you and God, man. That's just what God told me. And literally within months, I was in seminary and it was like everything just fell into place really quickly. Literally like a month before that conversation, the thought of me going to seminary was nowhere even remotely close to my radar. And then all of a sudden I was in the admissions office at the seminary that I used to live a block down the road from and trying to tell them all the reasons why I shouldn't go here, but I'm here talking to you anyway. And then I went and um, I kind of found my faith again in a way, but in a much different way than what I had previously been taught to believe and I had a really solid uh, academic sort of deconstruction that started before my time at Lancaster Theological and then continued there 
Um, for people who don't know, there are some really world-class biblical scholars and theologians that teach there. So I was very lucky that, that that's where I got to go. And while I was there, I wrote my first book, which is about the golden rule, which if you look at uh, the, <clears throat> the passages in the New Testament where Jesus sort of outlines what that is, he says it's literally the most important thing. And it sums up the entire law and the prophets. So for Jesus, it summed up his whole Bible. So I wrote a book about that called Go Golden and then started, um, felt called to the realm of public theology rather than the pulpit. I had gone there thinking I was going to get an MDiv, but it became pretty clear at the end of the first year that my gifts were not in like pastoral kind of ministry, but they were in the realm of public theology and I was told by my theology professor when I turned in my thesis, he said, you, 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 this is what you need to be doing. You need to be writing and you need to be telling people in the way that you can uh, what you see are theological problems in our cultural moment. And so one of the things that permaculture deals with is ecological sustainability. And there's a three-tiered sort of ethics from permaculture that I espouse as creation care. And the Bible says that creation is good when God created it's good. And then neighbor care. And the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, period. And then future care, which Jesus says, give us our daily bread and bread for tomorrow in the original translation of the Lord's prayer. So I kind of see theology through this lens of permaculture, which I have multiple um, certifications in, and I have and, taught. And define define that. Okay, yeah, uh, permaculture is a system of ecological and sustainable design that was created in sort of the 1970s in Australia by uh, an academic forestry professor and one of his students who looked at the natural world and said, "Look, the natural world." If man doesn't do anything, right, mm -hmm. it cycles all of the nutrients. It does. It takes care of itself. But humanity is smart enough that we could design agricultural and social systems like nature does. So work with nature rather than against it, and it it brings into a, into the design process to create cultivated ecosystems this idea of systems thinking. So the entirety of the system, not just a little piece. Like in, in conventional agriculture, uh, where I grew up in, in Blue Ridge, there was a lot of cotton and a lot of sorghum grown in these vast monocrops. And if you go yeah. up to Iowa or- We got sugar, like sugar cane down here. Yeah, sugar cane down in Louisiana, corn and soybeans in a lot of places. Well, this, <clears throat> this is an artificial construct that completely works against nature and is, is more akin to mining the soil than actually regenerating it while creating food, fuel, and fiber for not only human beings, but for all of nature, which again, God created and said was good. So it's, it has moved from that strictly sort of food-based, uh, agriculturally-based design system to a more holistic uh, design system where people are designing whole communities, neighborhoods, uh, and even cities at times 
using the principles and ethics of permaculture. And I sort of explicate that in that first book. And I can't separate permaculture from theology because when I look at the Bible, the Bible talks about a lot about the importance of taking care of the earth. There's a whole idea of every seventh year in the ancient Near East in the, in the Hebrew scriptures that says you don't, let, you don't do anything with the land. You let it lie fallow, and then you let poor people come and glean from it. And that allows the land to recover sort of cyclically, right? Hmm. And the Apostle Paul in Romans says, you know, you can see God by looking at creation, Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this there's this idea amongst fundamentalists and evangelicals that I grew up with and, and married um, that said this planet's not important. Yep. I don't see anything in the scripture that that verifies that view. In fact, well, I it, it was it was it was. It, sorry, sorry. Uh, it was it was almost. Uh, more than that it was like not only is it not important but it is broken and to be like despised and i mean i remember i've talked about that a bunch of podcasts but that was kind of i was very much under the uh false theology of i'm just passing through this is a toxic world it's a broken world there's no point in trying to fix it because it's all going to be destroyed anyway and i and and hopefully we'll get to it at some point in this conversation i i will say too it is i do wonder and i guess i'm cynical by nature but i'm a a, one of those people that's like i i don't believe that we will ever create some sort of utopia here so it's almost like so then is i'm i'm realizing my own (laughs) cynical nature here but really it's like i mean i guess you know what what i wanted to say but didn't was like what's the point sort of i mean i get trying to um, make it better in the meantime and, and be good stewards of the earth. But I, I guess I don't believe, like, I feel like humans definitely are not suddenly going to do an about face and, and we're just going to fix this thing. I feel like it, in that way, it is kind of irreparably harmed, but, um, sure. but it's kind of a dovetail, but yeah, keep, but the thing is Christians aren't called to go with that particular flow, right? We're called, uh, or people that profess to be Christians are called to sort of separate themselves in a way that shows people that they're different, right? And Jesus said that, you know, by your love, you'll, you'll be known as my disciples. Well, if we show the broader world this post-capitalist or late capitalistic hellscape that we're living in now a completely different way which is what jesus was literally trying to do in the first century he was like look y'all there are some serious problems with the way we're interpreting scripture there's some serious problems with the way that we're handling social justice right and If you don't think that Jesus was about social justice, I challenge anybody that has that view to sit and read the gospel of Luke from chapter one, verse one, all the way to the end without stopping. That's how we were taught to do it in seminary. It will blow their mind. So yes, 
I fall into cynicism sometimes. I have PTSD, so it's real hard not to be cynical sometimes, right? Sure. But our call is to live out the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12 or 7, 21. I'm always transposing numbers in my head. And um, the love of neighbor. And the most famous passage for that is Luke 10, 25 through 37. And it's found in other gospels too, but those are the two biggies. And that's sort of my personal canon within a canon, right? As my uh, New Testament professor said, we all have that. Jesus had that too when he said things like, you have heard it said, but I say this, right? So he was, he was doing his hermeneutical thing and his interpretive thing, just like I am, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, things are shitty out there, right? And it's tough, but the road is narrow, as Jesus said. And it seems to be getting narrower and narrower all the time. If you listen yeah. to the scientists, to the ecologists who are saying, hey, we're creating a mass extinction event, and the climate scientists who are saying, hey, we got to stop burning fossil fuels like yesterday, right? So mm-hmm. how, do, how do people of faith step away from that? And that's, that's kind of why I felt called to be in the realm of public theology. And all of my work basically sees the world through this hermeneutical lens of golden rule, greatest commandment, and my education as a permaculturist. So I might not be writing, like in in my new book, Theological Musings, Volume 1, I might not be writing about something related to growing a garden or something ecological or environmental, but I'm still going to look through that lens of in everything you do, treat people the way you want to be treated. If you don't want that done to you, don't do it to them. That's the golden rule in a nutshell. And Jesus said, and this is the entire law and the prophets, right? So it could be like last mm-hmm. night or the, or sometime yesterday, a white supremacist in Jacksonville, Florida, That's murdered right. three black people and then killed himself. So <clears throat> in our cultural moment, gun violence is a horrific thing that's happening. So in Theological Musings, I have an essay entitled Crimes Against Humanity that sort of explicates the racist history of the Second Amendment as outlined by a legal historian named Carl T. Bogus, and show how failing to enact sensible gun control legislation is a crime against humanity and it is completely antithetical to the teachings of Jesus because it creates this terror for anybody who's not a straight white dude. And that's, that is completely against what Jesus taught and believed. And I see that because of my neighbor care ethic from permaculture and the golden rule as as defined by Jesus's Jewish upbringing and teachings. And, the, and another thing about permaculture, just to sort of circle back to that real quick, mm-hmm. um, as I said, it's a design science and, and, and permaculturists look for patterns in order mm-hmm. to design a system. So where I'm at, the patterns would be what kind of soil uh, is here, 
Lancaster County has amazing soil. That's why there's so many farmers here, Amish and Mennonite particularly. Uh, we don't have great wind here, so it's not, a, it's not a particularly good place for wind power, right? We're in sort of a bowl, so uh, geologically speaking. So, you know, you have to take all these kinds of things into, into account when you design the system, which way is the wind coming from, what kind of pollutants may be flowing into or out of the system and that kind of thing. Well, the golden rule is a spiritual pattern that's literally found in every single faith or ethical uh, system on earth from Taoism to Satanism, right? Mm -hmm. The Satanists have yeah. a pretty solid golden rule <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you look at them. And, and those people don't necessarily believe in a corporeal devil the way that uh, I grew up thinking about during that whole satanic panic era, right? But so I, I look at all of theology is inseparable to me from those things. And, and our call to be different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super freaking hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> so since you, you spent a lot of time in that culture and I, uh, from my limited point of view, what I see is that, uh, that culture is, it may be what's driving this, this thing that we're calling Christian nationalism. And, and basically yes. another thing that I've talked about is just, I love how you said that the road is getting narrower because it really does seem to me the longer I go, the the older I get, the more I look around. It's like, I, like, I don't know what, you know, I obviously don't know your heart. I don't know what you are or what you believe, but it looks nothing like what Jesus, like what an actual Christian is. And now it's like beginning to think like how many like people are actually following Jesus. And if they're not, then like, what is going on? Like what is happening right now that so many people, especially in politics, um, especially in these, you know, mega churches, prosperity gospel, like what is really going on that mm. all of these people are professing and claiming Christianity and they are so far from what the Bible seems to teach yeah i and and that's a that's a an excellent question and it's a huge topic but sort of briefly when when the christian church pre-constantine sort mm -hmm. of got married into the roman empire and became an instrument of the state that is a historical moment, in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of church historians and, and other scholars, where, oh, great, there's a car alarm going off outside my house. Yeah, yeah I hear it. Um, where the church really sort of to, started to deviate from those pacifistic uh, teachings of, of Jesus. Now, in the United States white supremacy undergirds a huge amount of what has become American Christianity. And that goes all the way back to the pre-colonial days when the Puritans came over and started talking uh, and, and delighting in murdering hundreds of Native Americans at a time and sending those demon souls to hell. 
And then in the 19th century, in the early 19th century, you had people like Richard Furman, who was an early proponent of the Southern Baptist Church, who argued that the Christian golden rule did not preclude white people from enslaving inferior black people because it allowed them to get away from that dark continent in Africa and come here and learn about Jesus in this completely slaveholder religion context. Well, the Southern Baptist is slaveholder religion, and it is the number, it's the largest Protestant denomination in America. And a lot of churches that are so-called non-denominational have at their roots sort of this very Southern Baptist worldview and theology. Then you have America becoming a, a, a continental empire with manifest mm -hmm. destiny, which is again, another thing that's driven completely by white supremacist nonsense. And, and there's a word that I like to use. I don't know if it's suitable for your audience, but- Absolutely. Fundamentalist fuckwittery is the term that I've come Love up it. with. Perfect. So you have this white supremacy pervading, particularly evangelical streams of Christianity in America. And then the, there was an evangelical surge in the 19th century. The fundamentalists started to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to step back and, and do our own thing. And then all of a sudden, and, and stay separate from the politics thing. But then... There was this whole move by the moral majority and people like that to start marrying politics with and with this sort of slaveholder white supremacist Christianity. So I write a lot about that, too, about Christian nationalism, because in Pennsylvania, we had our gubernatorial election last year and the Republican candidate is an avowed Christian nationalist and member of the New Apost Apostolic Reformation named Doug Mastriano. This dude is nuts, right? His whole point is to try to create Pennsylvania as a theocratic state and then let that radiate out to the rest of the, of the country to create this white authoritarian Christian, 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 air quotes, uh, state in which a very narrow theology or theological viewpoints that are rooted in racism and bigotry is foisted on everybody else. Which is why, that, and that sounds like, <laughs> yeah. Did uh, did you watch um, Shiny Happy People? I have not seen that yet. But You're familiar like, though, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, and I was uh, unfamiliar with, and I, I wish you did watch it because I can't remember the name of the organization. But the um and uh, the people that haven't seen it, it's about the Duggars and the yeah. Quiverful movement, and basically how the church that they were involved in, uh, their whole goal was to make Christian shoulders. They have a, a militia, and they're trying to get into government positions to create this theocracy. And it's so right, this is where I arrive at. When I when I try to think, because I'm I guess I always um, look at things more from a sociological perspective. I'm all about like what's go like what is happening here in this in this mm -hmm. movement, and I really 
think that it, it and this is just my only rationalization is that it has to be um like a spiritual uh, not attack i mean basically like what i'm saying is like this feels like a demonic type thing where there is some sort of spirit yeah. lead because i i also am not one of those people that think people are just dumb like i don't think people are dumb i think people go with movements because there is some sort of reward they're getting some sort of spiritual feedback they're getting there is some sort of power there otherwise they wouldn't be doing it people aren't just that dumb and if that is true then perhaps it really is like if you're talking about spirit of the antichrist type stuff to me that's what that is oh absolutely yeah i, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of of uh theologian and biblical scholar named walter wink um, i a brief uh i know the name and a little bit Okay, he he wrote a series of three books about engaging the powers or the the language of power in the New Testament, right? And a lot of evangelicals or fundamentalists think that this is about corporeal demons that are running around and doing things. But you kind of hit the nail on the head. There is a demonic spirit to Christian nationalism and or any any form of Christo fascist fascist authoritarianism, all of that kind of stuff, that, again, you know it's demonic because it's rooted in this idea of a certain group of people are superior to others. And I have yet to see a person of color who is a Christian nationalist in America. They all look a lot like me and you. It's a great point. And... I am super duper white, according to my DNA. I, I got the DNA test to see if I had any indigenous or people of color ancestry. Nope, not a bit. It's all from the UK and Scandinavia. But that doesn't make me special in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It's literally just an accident of birth. But these people think it makes them special. And they think that only they have the right belief. Well, in the United States alone, there are hundreds of uh, denominations. And globally, there are 40,000. So 40,000 denominations of Christianity? Globally. Yeah. So that takes me back to, okay, if right belief is so damn near impossible to pin down, and if you've never studied the history of the Reformation between Calvin, Zwingli, and Luther, and how they all thought that the scripture was plain and could be read in a plain sense reading, go look that up. Because they started killing each other over that stuff over in Europe, right? Yeah. That's why there are so many Anabaptists in the United States now, is one of the reasons, because the Peace Church were like, no, we're done. So... If right belief is so hard to pin down, then what do we do? And right belief is called orthodoxy, right? And right behavior or right action is called orthopraxy, which again brings me back to loving our neighbors and the golden rule. I can't love my transgender neighbors by being bigoted. I can love my transgender neighbors by going and learning about their lived experience 
and what the science says about gender. I can also look back at the history of Judaism, where Jewish rabbis had multiple views of gender just from Genesis chapter one in the original Hebrew. Hmm. Or I can look at indigenous peoples in North America. Sometimes they called them two-spirit people. And Polynesian cultures like Hawaii, uh, they had a different term, but transgender people were known to them, right? So if I jump on the Chris Rufo, Matt Walsh bandwagon, like so many people have, then I become a bigot. If I jump on the Jesus bandwagon, I don't, right? Because you can't hate somebody and then say, I'm loving my neighbor. And that whole thing about there's no hate like Christian love is because people have skewed the scripture so much to think that my narrow focus of belief is the only right one. And that's such a load of nonsense. It, it really is. is. And it's, that's, I, I spent a lot of time on Reddit and that is absolutely the prevailing sentiment. And so I, I want to play devil's advocate for a second okay. here because I know I at least have a few listeners that are just like, well, you're just spewing woke nonsense. Okay. So sure. what, what's the, what's the, like, you know, that is the classic, um, you know, Jesus never talked about lgbtq stuff so neither should you you know gender doesn't matter this is just more uh you're just falling for um oh what's the verse people use also the um the warning that people will follow um sensational spirits and be deceived or whatever do you know what i'm talking about it's like a yeah vaguely Um, yeah but people will use that saying like oh you're just following the spirit of the times and you're just mm -hmm. buying into this uh this woke culture mentality and you're losing the you know jesus wouldn't wouldn't hate those people but you gotta you gotta convict them and you can't just love sin like these are these are the common uh knee-jerk um protests or responses that i hear when this sort of stuff gets brought up because i was a big um shane clay claiborne fan as well and people would kind of bring that up to him that it's like oh you just so how would you respond to things like that First, I would contextualize the word woke. So that is a word that has been co-opted as a pejorative by the hard right folks. Now, the history of that word goes back a long time in the African-American community. And it was basically a warning to black youth and, and adults, stay woke, systemic racism is everywhere you go. Don't rise to the bait of the bigots. Stay woke, stay alive. So right away, we need to take that word back from the bigots, okay? Mm -hmm. The word homosexual wasn't even a word until 1940-something, or until... It wasn't put in the Bible until 1946. It wasn't even a word until the 20th century. Were there people that were LGBTQIA in the ancient Near East? Absolutely. Was the sin of Sodom rampant homosexuality? Absolutely not. 
Ezekiel says what it was. And for that America, sounds a lot like America. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, go ahead. we're living eye on the hog. We're not taking care of the poor. Yeah. And, and we're being abusive to people. The other sin in the Sodom story is there were people trying to rape guests. And in the ancient Near East, hospitality was sacrosanct. Those guests happened to be angels according to the biblical narrative, right? So the other thing that's important to realize is that, and, I, and I'll preface this by saying, I was lucky enough to take a class in seminary entitled Gender Sexuality in the Bible with world-renowned Old Testament scholar, Hebrew Bible scholar, Dr. Julia O'Brien. And if you Google her, she edited the Oxford Encyclopedia on sexuality in the Bible or something like that. I have it on my bookshelf. She is literally an expert. We went through every single one of those so-called clobber passages, mm -hmm. putting them in the original context in which they were written to discover if there was any truth to the fact that the Bible says that being gay is blanketly a sin. And guess what? Not a bit of it. Not one bit of it. So, and I was indoctrinated in the early 1990s in the Southern Baptist Church, in a church called New Hawaii Baptist Church in Honolulu, Hawaii, where I was going when I was in the Marine Corps. And we had uh, a whole series on Sunday night, during Sunday night services for quite a while on the so-called gay agenda, which if anybody's um, not clear about what the gay agenda is, it's living their fucking lives. Right. 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 And and again, I swear a lot for a theologian, but so does Stanley Harawas. Take it up with him. Um, <laughs> so there's nothing in the Bible that says that being gay or trans is a sin. All of those texts also are from a time when people thought the earth was flat. Genesis describes the planet as a flat disc with a dome-shaped lid. So what does it matter, right? If a collection of ancient Near Eastern text is misinterpreted. So I'm gonna take this back to permaculture real quick. Yeah. Permaculture again is a design science that looks for patterns. If a human being looks at nature even casually, what one sees is the pattern of diversity between species and amongst species. We have different kinds of trees in temperate climates than are in tropical climates. There's not just one kind of tree in the world. There are tens of thousands of kinds of beetles. Just one kind of bug, and there are thousands of species of them. There are people who are tall, like me, six foot two, and there are people that are relatively short. There are people that are thin, like me, and there are people that are big boned. There are people with blue hair or blue eyes, and now people with blue yeah, hair. Blue hair, yeah. <laughs> you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, whatever. And in nature, there are also dozens, if not more, species that practice same sex 
sexual activity. Yeah. So you cannot tell me, scientifically speaking, that straight and cis is the only way that humans are ever have ever been designed and created. That would go against everything else in the nature that God created. It makes absolutely no sense. So I would say for people to forget everything they've heard about gay being a sin or trans being a choice, because it's not. No trans person ever says that. No gay person says that. They, at some point in their life, know this is who I am and how I am. And hopefully they have the resources and the supportive family to help them navigate whatever that might be for them. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Jesus looked at the Roman centurion, a man who was actively working to oppress him and his people who had a sex slave because the Romans, the centurion slave was almost certainly being used for sexual purposes by that centurion. That's the way it was in the ancient Near East. Yeah, it was young, young, young boys were pure. But I, I was, I went down a rabbit hole of this too. But, but especially in the Greek and Roman culture. But it's like it only became an issue with uh, with older men, but younger right. boys were considered like, yeah, that's just what you do. That's just what you do. But what did Jesus do in that situation? He didn't say, yo, dude, you're you're having sex with a, a person of your same gender I'm, and you're oppressing me. I'm going to send you on your way now. No, he said, your faith has brought healing. He didn't rebuke. He didn't. He didn't try to change the Roman centurion's cultural milieu, which said that that that, that was okay, right? Now, we would call that rape now, most certainly, mm -hmm. because the slave didn't have any agency. But Jesus did not address the sexuality at issue. He just showed Christ-like love in that situation. So that's what I would say, show Christ-like love. And absolutely. then go and educate yourself. Absolutely. And it's, and it goes with, and I wish people, and I think some people uh, are waking up to this fact that it, these things, it is such a weaponized political issue. And if you don't understand mm -hmm. that it is being used that way to scare the, mm -hmm. the older conservative folks into voting their way, like that's, I think that's the, funniest irony of all to me is that people mm -hmm. honestly think donald trump gives a single shit about <laughs> or any politician you think he gives a fuck honestly no dude no, does not, not care he's, he's concerned about power and money they all are it's all about money anybody uh, so that sits calm in the down toilet like, doesn't care about you does right. not care about you doesn't care about the issues no nothing yeah. so maybe dial it back maybe just yeah like you said and uh so earlier what you said too and it, i mean it convicted me a little bit when you said orthodoxy versus orthopraxy and it's like but if i just believe the right thing then i don't have to act right and that that was a a, a false theology i followed for a long time too. oh yeah it was, 
was, well, I said the magic word, so all my sins are covered, and I, I know the truth, and I can rest in that. Therefore, I don't really have to do anything. But, man, that like though I that is one of the things I look back at my younger self and just absolutely cringe at just like, geez. And I'm going around telling people I'm a Christian and then acting just like a complete ass. But in my head, feeling like, well, at least I'm not going to hell like you are. You you know what I mean? It's it's bizarre. Well, Well, back to what we were talking about earlier, kind of that historical question that how did we get to this point as American Christians? Mm -hmm. And this hyper-individualized salvation thing is a huge part of that. And I call yeah. them the magic bean words now, because if you say this magic prayer, then you get a beanstalk straight up to heaven, right? And yeah. I got told at nine years old that if I died that night without saying these words, I was going to burn in eternity for hell, which, I'm sorry, any God that burns a nine-year-old in eternity for hell can just take a flying leap as far as I'm concerned. That's not a God worthy of any kind of worship at all, right? So, and if you read the uh, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats thing. Mm. Now, when I was growing up, that was always, this is your going to hell kind of thing. But what does Jesus really say there? He says it's the people who and the systems that don't take care of the least of these. He doesn't say it's what you believe. He says it's what you do. Did you visit the sick and the imprisoned? Did you give food to the needy? Did you love your neighbor? Or did you not? He doesn't say, well, did you say the right prayer? Did you confess that I'm the only one? The Lord and say, no, that's not what he says. And if you don't believe me, just go look it up. It's right there in black and white, right? So <laughs> Jesus was a social justice warrior in a uh, way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and there there is an essay on that passage in my new book because Jordan Peterson uh, quote tweeted the Pope on Twitter before it became whatever it is now and said that social justice had nothing to do with Christianity. So I wrote an essay to rebut that absolutely ridiculous biblical take by showing right. him all, you know, multiple places, but getting back to the issue of the woke versus non-woke, what did Paul say in Galatians? If you're in Jesus Christ, there's no male or female. There's no, Jew or Greek. And those were the major divisions in his time. Yeah, that's a that's a great so 21st century. If you if you think the path of Jesus is your path, then there's no cis or trans, there's no gay or straight, there's no white supremacy. There's just people that you're called to show the way of Jesus, and how will they know? By your love. That's it. I mean, it's so simple. It, and it it's is. Difficult because humans are, we're messed up. And a lot of us are traumatized by yeah. this sort of, you know, I grew up Gen X. We did duck and cover drills for nuclear war when I was in elementary school. 
you know, the day after that was mm-hmm. a movie called the day after where the, the bomb hit Kansas. I grew up in Kansas city, Missouri up at that point. So like we were scared witless by this nonsense, air yeah. raid going off all the time and shit arms wars. And then every time there was an earthquake fire, whatever, you know, thinking this is it going to happen. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of trauma running around. So people need care. And in our cultural context, BIPOC folks, Black, Indigenous people of color, LGBTQIA folks, they're amongst the most vulnerable and what I would theologically say Jesus would call the least of these. And we're supposed to love and care for them. And we can't do that by by hating them or attempting to legislate their rights away or shooting them like happened at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando in 2016. So we, we gotta we gotta find the path again and get back on it. And and the golden rule, which Jesus said was so important, being found in every other faith means you don't have to think Jesus was anything. You could even be one of those people who think he didn't historically exist. And still follow the golden rule and still do this stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really is, in some ways, it really is that simple, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think I think that's a, a pretty good uh a pretty good wrap-up spot because I want to give you a second to uh let people know where they can get the book and uh where they can find you and, and all that good stuff. Right. Um, so the book is is out from Choir Publishing, and it's on Amazon.com. Uh, I can be found at tattooed-theologian.com. That's my blog. Or you can look up Dylan Neighbor Cruz on social media. Uh, you can email me at dcruz at lancasterseminary.edu for all the people who want to berate me for saying the things that I said today. Um, and I'm sure that there's going to be a p- couple people scratching their heads and shaking their fist, but uh, absolutely. And wh- what was the book called again? Uh, the book is called Theological Musings: Collected Essays of a Tattooed Theologian, Volume One. And Volume Two will be out next year, sometime. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, I would love to get some uh, some conversations going on on this one too. So as always, email me at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Uh, patreon.com slash church and other drugs and then storefrontier.com slash church and other drugs dylan man thanks so much for uh for coming on that was that was a very uh i, I enjoyed that very much it was very enlightening well i appreciate you having me uh i always love a captive audience so and i yeah. love to, to talk theology awesome